Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome, everyone, to The Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. What do I want to say to you this morning? I think that I want to remind you to sign up for my newsletter where you can get information about every episode that comes out. And I also usually add some reflections on my podcast experience in that newsletter and also an affirmation and information about my weekly prayer calls. So I'd love for you to subscribe to that at thespiritualform.org. I also have a Whole Planet Spirituality Retreat coming up. October the 19th through the 22nd. And I'd love to have you check that out too at the spiritualform.org slash retreat. It is at Unity Village and it's a very, very sacred place. And this is the third year. And it's really the theme this year is Peace Begins With Me. And we're going to be looking at, in addition to all our speakers and workshops, we're going to be looking at how we can live in alignment with our values, our spiritual values, and and, and find our inner peace, and also be advocates for all of life on this planet. So please check that out at thespiritualform.org slash retreat. Let me introduce my guest today. Benique Mouget is an internationally known Jungian psycho- psychotherapist, teacher, poet, and workshop leader. She's authored a number of critically acclaimed books, including Songs from the Womb, which sheds much-needed light on the loss of soul encountered by many people due to the modern medicalized way of birth, which strips nature of its spiritual dimension. In addition to her writing and teaching, Benique maintains a private practice to help people heal from within. Her most recently published book, The Soul and the Sea, was written from her home by the sea in Connemara. Did I get that right? You did. Okay. Connemara, Ireland, during the first nine months of the COVID lockdown. Inspired by the sea and land around her home, she draws from her own life experiences as a Jungian therapist and spiritual teacher to illustrate how connection to nature and the spiritual world can heal emotional wounds. Welcome, Benique. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm delighted to be able to speak to your listeners today from Ireland. I love that. And I love that you're from Ireland. And as I'm reading your book, I just have this picture of your place in Ireland. And it just sounds so ideal, right near the ocean and those northern winds. And um, I'm sure I'm going to want to ask you to, I'm sure I'm going to ask you to tell me a little bit about that later. But first, I'd like to hear a little bit about your story. What, What do you want to tell us about who you are and how you came to be um, this spiritual teacher and and an analyst, and I, I know your story is a long one, <laughs> but whatever you want to tell in a fairly condensed fashion about your journey, your spiritual journey that could help our audience, would love to hear that now. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, well, I uh, grew up in the west of Ireland. Um, my parents were, uh, you could say, refugees from France in the 1950s. We we moved here, and um, I guess I grew up very much connected to the land and to the sort of a sense of the spirituality of the land. But anyway, I trained as an analyst um, 
in London, UK and worked there for some time. And then I came back home to, to Ireland and, and had a practice there. But more importantly, I was always interested in birth, in childbirth and in um, in some way in the sort of spiritual and psychological aspects of, of you know, how we're born and the impact of life in the womb, etc. So I started, I had a birth center in London, the UK, I used to prepare women for childbirth and have couples come back afterwards and um, uh, did a lot of healing around the birthing experience. I had my first book published, I think it was, oh gosh, 20 years ago by already. It's ridiculous. Um, or more, 25 years ago. And then I moved back to Ireland and I had a private practice, but I began to write, I again wrote about the impact of the father from a Jungian perspective, how the father has a different energy to the mother and what he brings to the child and what that means for us in relation when we have relationships later on, how we were fathered. And then I wrote another book, which is about the experience of, of um, heartbreak and how that's a sacred initiation. And then this <clears throat> latest book, The Soul and the Sea, is very much taking the work of healing a little bit further in terms of that, although the, the insights from depth psychology help, no, undoubtedly help us when we're looking to heal, we need something more, especially today in today's world, which I think there's an unprecedented spiritual awakening on many levels. And so uh, the book is really bringing together uh, psychology and spirituality, you know, for emotional healing. And it, it's very rooted in the ground uh, in the sense that um, that's, that's my work, you know, bringing through the embodied feminine, which has been lost so much in the world and that we need to reconnect with. I mean, that's a short version. And I'm a grandmother, you know, I, so I'm in my crone years in the third age. <laughs> uh, in a nutshell, that's where I am now. And the spiritual aspect of my work, I think, is just stronger and stronger all the time. Yeah, I think marrying the spiritual and the psychological is a much needed thing for our world. So it's really great work that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit, I know in, in your book, you tell your own birth story a little bit and how that's impacted your life and why, why I'm thinking that might be why you were kind of attracted to the looking into mm. why our birth stories or why birth experiences matter so much for us, even as grownups. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that, the, the, you know, that's where the start of my journey as a healer was the seeds of it from my own birth. I was born very premature in the middle of the west of Ireland, and my mother was quite ill, you know, was a sort of emergency cesarean, etc. And of course, I was in an incubator for two months because I was so small, and therefore no bonding and with my mother. And, um, you know, in later years, I would have gone into analysis myself because in order to become a therapist, you have to be therapized, so-called, and uh, analyzed. And so I came to know the effect that um, this type of birth, um, the, the imprint of that um, had on my soul. Um, and basically if you if you in a nutshell what it really means is you know 
and many people feel that feel a sense of abandonment but it, it, it could be highlighted in that sort of birth experience where you're separated from your mother for a long time two months although I'm sure I saw her here and there because of where we were living it was too far away they didn't have a car so they might have visited but it's not the same you know I'm two months old by the time I got, got taken home <laughs> It's so interesting. I, I know when I grew up, I'm one of five children. I know my own mother had her own birth stories for each of us. And I know the ones that she told more were the ones that she felt some sort of loss over. And in her age, in her era, they were out, at least in the U- U.S. They, they put the women out. I mean, they were out gassed. You know, they just don't have any recollection of the baby oh, yeah. being born. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like the next day they meet their baby. And I think that whole generation feels some sort of trauma from that, whether they know it or not. Mm. And I know for my mother, her Mm. first, um, her first child died full, full, you know, full term baby died. And I know she had a lot of trauma over that. Yeah. But my parents never talked about it. They would not talk about it. They would not allow you to bring it up. They don't want to hear about it. That was also their generation, Mm. how they handled trauma, just kind of put it away. And, um, but there's, there's, I think, I think all women have their own birth story for each one of their children. Mm. And I think that this shift from being surrounded by love and women and your, your tribe as you're, you're going through this kind of very, very um, natural process, it's been really lost with the hospital and the, the whole medicalization of that, which I know you cover in, in your book. But I mentioned to you, of, of, of all the chapters in your book, that was one that I was particularly interested in, is the birth room. Um, so before we go into that, let me back up and, and let you tell a little bit about your book and how you organized it in terms of rooms and then maybe I'll come back and ask you some questions about the birth room. Okay, perfect. Now, first of all, I, I have to say I never organized the book at all. People say, oh, well, why did you decide to put the chapters as rooms? I didn't. It, it really was a creative endeavor. The book, I could, I could feel, was just coming through me. And so I didn't think about it in advance. But basically, the book is, um, the chapters are called rooms. And they have different colors uh, um, and they were really sort of um, a reflection of my meditations, my walks by the sea, my reflections, all of that. And it just sort of naturally, uh, organically took shape that way. But the second part of the book, I take the reader into the therapy room, so-called, or at least into into looking at um, uh real life experiences and you know how we can work with for example the birth room is birth trauma and various things so i have i write stories that's my nature i'm a storyteller as well i love writing um so uh then there's the life room and the the death room i have difficulty with the death room i thought how can i call a room a death room i mean nobody's going to read this it's terrible so morbid <laughs> But it was really about um, how we deal with death and uh, with death and bereavement. So, and, and all of us, uh, when we reach a certain age, will have experienced it um, to our loved ones. So, um, so it's very much a, a book with that has 
um, specific exercises and and I talk about dreams and the importance of writing your dreams and journaling and all the regular Jungian psychotherapeutic ways of of working um, and, uh, and and incorporate you know spiritual affirmation spiritual exercises of, of different types um, with the suggestion that this is um, going to help with you see the bottom line is. Although we have been taught for many years and we know that we need to go within to heal, uh, we're so conditioned to looking outside of ourselves for love, for healing, for everything, that we forget that we have within us this immense healing power and the ability to heal ourselves. And in the Jungian language, we call this the archetype of the inner healer. So we have this wisdom in our own souls. And so I'm hoping the book kind of brings the reader to, to understand that you, you, can, you have within you the ability to heal and tremendous power to do so. And also nature, uh, walking, nature is, is hugely healing. I mean, I'm talking to you in the middle of a field. I mean, I'm above the, the, the beach and I have animals all around me and they are healing. In themselves, so it, it's really connecting with the essence of nature um, and learning from from nature as well. I believe we can do that. I think many of us know, as you say, that you know we can heal. The, the power of healing is within. We we need to realize our divine nature. There, these are things that the, on mm. the spiritual path we hear. You know, it, it's mm. it's really about expressing our divinity and. And we are so powerful. And then I think people just, it becomes something that's still in the head, you know, like how, how do we do yeah, that? Yeah. You know, that's how do we do that? Like, yeah. I know I'm divine. I know I can heal myself, but I'm still a complete mess. I'm still, you know, experiencing these patterns over and over again. I still bring the wrong people into my life. I still feel abandoned. I still feel, you know, lost. I still feel inadequate. And I see this a lot in my own work with people. I've I've been a minister of a church. I've I've coached, counseled, spiritually counseled people, and there's this kind of I get it all, but I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so, so do you do you think that in addition to like the meditation and, and these spiritual practices and the affirmations and all that that nature really is like a key to this healing? I think I think nature is a key to this, but it's 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 more than that. It's that because what you've just described, absolutely, totally, hundred percent agree with you. But when we feel those feelings, I'm still doing the wrong thing, or getting the wrong people into my life, or getting into a mess. Th those are times when we're separated, when we're experiencing the separation from from the divine or we're not feeling loved or there's something wrong with us we're flawed i mean that's one of the biggest things we're flawed and therefore we're not good enough um so it, it's impossible to 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 heal there we have to literally i think just go within and i i guess for me what nature does help me because i that that's that's for me nature is a huge thing connecting with the wisdom in the earth but also going within no, somehow and poetry is the other one for me reading rumi and these sacred poets that remind you remind you uh, that uh, you are divine 
So when you reconnect with the sense that there is a, a greater plan at work in your life, there is something there. It's not about being passive either, but knowing that there is healing, there is a greater plan at work. And if you trust that plan, uh, there is meaning. There is meaning for your spiritual journey, for your evolution. For example, going through heartbreak with the book I wrote about um, love in a time of broken heart, that, you know, your heartbreak is actually what you need to open to um, unconditional love, you know, in experiencing heartbreak. Um, and I write about different heart openings I had in my life, talking about children. I think the day my children were born probably was a huge heart opening. And a, as a mother, you probably understand that because these are just like blood, you know, archetypal type of flesh openings that um, we, and not everybody has them. I mean, it is true that some people are very, very hurt and wounded and shut down. But I think the key is nature, but also our own hearts, connecting with our hearts and knowing it's okay to feel bad and to feel down and, okay, let me see, look, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to look after myself today and um, I'm going to go for a walk. I mean, when I go feel bad, I'm always outside. Outside will heal me. Walking by the sea will heal me. Or I might, if I'm in the town, in the city, I'll go for a massage. <laughs> That's how it will help. <laughs> I, I think that... Um, what you said in there is really important, I, that it's okay to feel bad. And I think that's part of our mm. culture, that it's not okay to feel bad. Like if I feel bad, there's something that's wrong right. with that. And so I need to either put that somewhere else, negate it, uh, ignore it, um, pretend it doesn't exist, or become distracted so I don't feel it. And some people can do that, others can't. But even the idea that feeling bad is is bad or, ba or wrong, or it's, it's not natural, or I, I need to always feel happy. That's right. And there's kind of this whole that's new exactly. age thing that's all about positivity and <laughs> it's all about the light. And and I, I know in, in union therapy that that would be really something that would not be the way you would help a person no. with their with their challenges. But there's a lot of that out there. There is a lot of that out there. And you could call it it has been called the spiritual bypass. Mm -hmm. You know, that you mm -hmm. you 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 just um cut off. And in fact, what what I've learned and I think The Soul and the Sea is probably my most grounded book in that sense, um, although all of them are. But what I've learned in my long years as a woman uh, and also as a therapist is that it's our very humanity and where we fall uh, that actually is the greatest uh, growth, you know, the greatest. The, you know, Leonard Cohen, um, his song, There Is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, you know? So within the wounding and the pain is the, is the healing as well. So you don't have to feel wonderful, but you see, absolutely, I agree with you. And it, it happens all the time, you know? Uh, I've got to get rid of this. I've got to get rid, self-medicate or go and get tablets or whatever it is or drink. I think people, though, are realizing that that's not the answer because it isn't the answer. Yeah, I think I think the hard one it's not for working. Like, no, it's not working. I I think that that it's it's hard to uh, 
overcome the distractions. I think people know that some of these mm. these these things that we do, like drink or drug ourselves, we, we all know that's not going to be right. But I, I think that distractions can be very, very invisible to us. Like we don't realize that the the television has hypnotized us, or the phone has mm. hypnotized Absolutely. us, or yeah. And and mm-hmm. so it's 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 a new way to anesthetize ourselves against the cracking <laughs> that's happening. Um, so so in 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 addition to just yeah. being aware of those things like distractions and 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 the medication and just I, I love the the Rumi poetry you have in your book and I don't, I can't remember if it's a Rumi poet or this is you saying it but it was it was like you know you can't heal it without feeling it or you got to feel it to heal it oh, so yeah. there's. There's, that there's was me. That. Okay, that was you. <laughs> there we go. I just put you up on the same pedestal as Rumi. <laughs> and you did, and thank you. <laughs> his poetry is so beautiful in there, and yours is as well, but I, oh. I underline his a lot. It's just amazing how wise a person mm-hmm. he is. Yeah, but that, that was a big one that ca- came in when I was doing uh, my birthing work 30 years ago. Um, you know what you can't what you can't feel you can't heal in other words that it didn't really matter how women gave birth it, it what mattered was what they felt about it you know what what their feeling was because if they had made a decision to go one way and then they were disappointed and it didn't go that way there's all that stuff that goes on inside and um but then there are others that felt that the right decision was made and they went with it. So I think that thing is very, very wise. Yeah, and so many things can happen in in childbirth. I mean, mm-hmm. so many things that you can't plan. It's it's not a thing you plan for. I mean, you know you're going to have your baby, but mm-hmm. you have no idea, especially your first one, you have no idea what it's going to be like, what it really is. They, they talk about contractions, but you really don't know what that is. And for me, to circle back to my my own experience that I kind of started bringing up in the beginning, I felt the whole, I mean, looking back, I didn't really realize this was happening at the time, but I, I became a procedure in the hospital. And, and I think that that's where I feel so much loss that here I am, the most important thing that's happening in my life is this mm-hmm. life coming through my body. And it was absolutely a phenomenal thing. I mean, it's, it's so abstract, even though you're carrying a baby for nine months and you're feeling her or him, obviously you're having a baby, but until that child comes out of your body, at least for me, I was like absolutely in awe that this just happened. And, and then, but then I, I was a medical procedure, you know, they, the nurses all have their thing they do with the baby. They kind of take the baby, they do this, they do that. And, and it's like, where's my baby? You know, that, that's what happened for mm-hmm. me. I, I lost my baby for hours because they were, they had put her in some sort of line. I mean, this is my first child, some sort of line of, you know, washing. And I don't know what they were doing, <laughs> but I just remember calling and saying, where's my yeah. baby? Where's my baby? And yeah, so, right. um, so, you know, these are the kinds of things that I think are really sad for moms because there's, when you become a part of a procedure or some sort of a medical plan, you lose that naturalness. You lose that the spiritual dimension that that the medicalized way of birth strips nature of its spiritual dimension. It's a spiritual experience, and I don't think it's meant it to be a medical experience. That's the whole point. You see that um, 
the medicalization of childbirth, yes, uh, uh, arguably has made birth safer in some ways. But again, it's an arguable point. Um, but it also has taken away from women the sense that they can do it or that, you know, that they're, they can't do it without the doctor or that it's a medical problem, which it never was. I mean, hundreds of thousands of uh, women have given birth, millions uh, have given birth, um, you know, in the fields and all of this before modernization of birth. Uh, but the, the the main point is that um, uh, women and their children can be very wounded by a very high tech birth. And, uh, you know, the, the point is, how can we, um, I think what we need, because we have a huge uh, technological, um, you know, explosion right now. So mm -hmm. uh, what we need is to marry technology with respect for the human soul. And that hasn't been happening. Even some, I can tell you today, I had my last child 38 years ago, um, but I work with, uh, you know, I still work in that area. Not so much now, but I still get women coming to me after birth. But I can tell you some of those birthing rooms resemble torture chambers. That is the truth. With, wow. with forceps, with drugs, with, I mean, forceps is, is very violent, you know, it's just, it's just too difficult to, for so many women to be able to, to sort of get over that because you're, you're kind of told, well, I mean, I don't know why you're complaining, you have a healthy baby and okay, you're not, it's not about complaining. It's about, you know, I need to reclaim something here. I feel disempowered, particularly if your baby is removed from your body without you doing it. Now, you've already said you had good births, and I did too, although my first child was a forceps, and that's 45, 46 years ago, because um, his head was turned a different way and all of this. Um, but for, for, for some women, it can be a major thing to uh, wake up and not have been present at the birth, if you see what I mean. And that can affect the child too. And we don't want to sound completely, you know, for any listeners out there who had technological births, it's not, you know, it's not to sound, oh my God, that, that, that's the end of the world. It's more just an awareness, an awareness that, um, you know, it's good to heal from any of this. And it's good for the child and it's good for the child when it grows up if it's still carrying something from the birth. It's just an awareness. That's all it is, an awareness, and then you can heal it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not about making anybody's choices or experiences wrong, but no. there may be healing opportunities there. And I think that we also are mistaken when we think, or when we say things like, well, the baby forgets all that. I mean, you, <laughs> you know, that happened when you were a baby. I mean, that happened when you were a baby. So that's not still carried on, but it is. It it is still carried on. There's there's something because you even talk about in your book how babies, you know, they're so innocent and they're they they've just come from God. I mean, they're they're as close to the divine as any any beings on the yeah. planet, and so mm -hmm. yeah, they are probably very sensitive, and 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 things are imprinting on them early this idea that when something happens when to you when you're a baby and you forget it that it doesn't carry into your life that's just a mistaken 
idea. It's, I think it's very mistaken and it's very misguided. And it's, it's in, in many cultures, it's like Western cultures in particular, such as years ago in, in Ireland or Britain, you know, if a parent died, the child would just not go to the funeral. I mean, children don't need to go to funerals, you know, oh, they yeah. don't need to mm-hmm. mourn. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's finished. I think everybody understands that children do have feelings like everybody else. Yeah, I think they're still yeah. missing the baby thing, though. I think still, you know, the things that happened Maybe. to a baby in, in childbirth, you know, it impacted you. I think you had a lot of things in your mm-hmm. life that you would draw back to your your baby infant experience. So why not? Wouldn't that be the case for all the rest of us? Mm-hmm. And some of the patterns, you know, as a therapist um, for so many years of practice, um, some of the patterns can, in an individual, can can be traced way back to to birth or to life in the womb, which is why it's always my practice to um, ask my clients when we're in in the work at some point um, what they know about their birth and or their time when their mother was carrying them in the womb. For example, if you're carried in your mother's womb during a war situation where, as happened with some of the people I've worked with, where they would have to leave in the middle of the night and go to another place for safety. And I remember this particular uh, person, she she couldn't settle. She could not settle anywhere. Um, And it seemed to go back to that early time. Interesting. That's really interesting. I know for myself, it it took me decades to discern that I was born into a family, a grieving family, because my parents would never talk about anything like grief. Oh, my, yeah. my my father lost his whole family of a couple of years, I think, before I was born. I mean, his mom and his dad and his 39-year-old brother, and would never talk about it. But I I, I did my own depth therapy with a union uh, analyst mm-hmm. or union therapist many, many years ago. And through that, I was able to discern that I, I, I was born into a family that was grieving <laughs> and yeah, yeah. that, it, that impacts, that impacts things. You know, I think, yeah. I think it made me um, a very, a, a sensitive child. I was very kind of concerned about everybody yeah. else's feelings in, yeah. is everybody else okay? Is everybody else okay? Um, at least that's what I've kind of pointed it back to it. But, you know, when you talk about healing from your childbirth experiences, one of the things that also came to me was I mentioned that my mother was not awake during any of her births. So she has no memory of any of her births. But when I gave birth to my first child, um, my mom came to deliver some food to my husband and she ended up just staying and sitting in the corner and she was there to watch the birth of my first child. And she said that's the first baby she ever saw born. Wow. That must and have been so healing. I think so, because she had six births, five live children, six births. And at the time, I didn't realize how significant that was, but I think it was very significant for her, very healing and bonding. So um, anyway, I think, I think this whole birth thing is just so interesting. And I, I'm really hoping, because so much of your, your focus of your book and your work is this kind of grounding ourselves in nature and, you know, our authentic nature and, and, and the, the wildness of the earth. 
And I'm, I'm really hoping that in this awakening that we're having, um, that we'll talk can talk about in a few minutes, but I'm hoping that part of that is is coming back to realizing that we can kind of reclaim our power in childbirth. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I don't, you see, I don't know what it's like in the in the US. I live in in Ireland and it's it's still quite high tech, but maybe not quite as much as like there are countries in Europe such as Holland where you know most baby a lot of babies have very natural they go home with the midwife and all of this. But um yeah, I hope so. But there's so many changes it, it, it happening. It, it really is important I think for uh, women or for for and men to reclaim the feminine within, which is uh, the heart, the ability to feel the, and not to be cut off from our feelings. You know, which is not going to lead us to any type of healing. You know, and you know yourself, compassion, all of that can only come from your own heart. Um, and if you're carrying so much pain around and and ignoring it, trying to ignore it, um, it's going to come out somehow, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to come out somehow. So this uh, this period that we're in now of of a massive awakening, do you mm. do you see that this is about the feminine? Is the awakening about the feminine? Or is it about the balance of the feminine masculine? Is it about the feminine energies kind of resurgence in our yeah. in our own selves? I think from a, a historical and and cultural perspective, it, it is about uh, you see the 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 the, the masculine, uh, uh, aka sort of as expressed through the patriarchy and all of that has been in power for more than two thousand years. Um, and or has been the, the the ruling force before that. Of course, we had um, you know the the time of the goddess, and and societies were 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 completely different. Um, uh, so I think that 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 has led to a huge imbalance uh, in you know man thinking that he is not man as in a man. I mean society thinking that humanity in in general thinking that they are more powerful and and the uh, the ruling force and forget about the earth uh, the earth is suffering uh, the great mother gaia um but animals and the way we treat them and, oh, and, and all of this yeah so i think that that i think it's a natural process now i think there's uh, you know i think that if there was anything in the pandemic of a silver lining it's it uh, certainly was making people stop and think about what's important. What is important? You know, love, being with the people you love, nature, moving, you know, moving out of cities if you can, all of this. And um, uh, so I do think it's about the, the, the rise of the feminine again. And by that, I mean feminine values, you know, in society and within each one of us. And, um, I see that as as a connection with 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 a heart, with your emotion. I was think, this morning I was doing some work, um, and I came across a quote from Jung who talks about emotion, and I haven't got it written down there. But basically, that it's 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 a, it's emotion that um, 
constellates, if you like, uh, the numinous. Do you know the numinous? The word the numinous, it's the transcendent function or the ability. The numinous is the divine in a way or something that's capable of transforming into into uh, you know transformation. So I, I think it's I do think it's unprecedented at, at the moment as in it, it seems to be natural and people are all I mean everybody when I was a child nobody was and certainly when my children were at school nobody was talking about teaching mindfulness in schools or all of that children were not encouraged you know everything was learned by um, rhyme and you know there wasn't room for uh reflection now i mean i see my granddaughter she seems to know instinctively she'll just sit like this and go off <laughs> that's so cute you know she'll connect <laughs> with a few crystals she's seven just turned seven and then after a few minutes she'll say i think i'll go for breakfast <laughs> so but children are and, and there is an awareness of 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 spirituality you see that's the thing there is an awareness of it and people are buying books right left and center hopefully they buy my book but um about uh spiritual fulfillment and learning to heal oneself you know everybody's interested in that aren't they really i mean it's just it's just there now because we know what what's been going on isn't working for us anymore and and all the old institutions such as the church you know uh, many old institutions, the, the, the medical system that was, all of that is kind of crumbling and we're being thrown onto ourselves. I think this is the age. I have a spiritual master. Her name is Sai Ma. And she talks about this is the age of the throat chakra, you know, connecting with your authenticity and your inner voice, um, speaking your truth. Uh, so it is very much the age of uh individual we take responsibility for our lives rather than putting it out there yeah seeking truth beyond our stories it seems to me at least in the in the united states there's there's still a lot of divisions being kind of fomented and and just a lot of mm. it, it feels like we're we're in like a last gasp if if nothing else of of yeah. this dominator system I agree with you. yeah like it's yeah. it's it's going to buckle down it's going to get harsher and harsher it as kind of a defense of itself, maybe that that's what's, what's happening. But it, and, and with the, the, the technology and AI and kind of the replacement of humanity yeah. with, with technology and, and, you know, where's that going to go is, is the human spirit going to transcend that? Or are we going to go down this path and, and give up our humanity to, to fuse with technology to become, you know, a, a, an immortal soul mechanized soul are we going to be, be able to you know stay rooted in our divinity and and take the human path very interesting times that we're in oh yeah for sure and and very divided time because there are uh, you know the, 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 those of us that are feel that you know we, we're waking we're awake and we want others can't you see and then there are others who who who, who are not there so there is a, a divisive time, but I do believe, I do believe that uh, the, the the soul and the spirit, you know, that we will we will get through this. I mean, maybe I'll be gone. I don't know. I'm, I I hope I have many years left. My father lived to one hundred and one, so hopefully, I still have a good deal of time yet to see 
the world become much more compassionate and uh, you know that we live according to our hearts and with nature and and all of that i hope i hope i i believe so I believe so too. I mean, I I completely have faith in the divine, the the yes. divine always being in able to express itself through whatever difficult times we go through. That that in in the end, if there is an end, which there we know there is no end, but in human terms, that the divine mm. within will prevail. But we may go through some tough times. I don't know, but mm. I think that. What one of the things that I've learned through COVID, and the COVID years really changed me a lot. But one of the things that really sticks with me is this importance of connection. Like it doesn't matter how different I feel, it doesn't matter how disconnected I may be from a loved one or a friend. That that we keep staying connected. We find connecting points. Yeah. We we reach out and and. And find ways that our humanity can be with each other, and and I think that's what's going yeah. to possibly be a tipping point, mm. or at least contribute to this awakening that we st we we keep saying that connection is important, which is what you're saying about the heart. Absolutely, and I think that, that this is the the me the message, if you like, as well of of the time is uh, the importance of community. You see, technology is amazing and has led us into all sorts of areas but also it's not very human you know you have to marry that with um you know i see it in 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 children uh young people who were raised in um uh, you know when i was young there was no computers there was no internet i mean when i started my my practice as a therapist you know, it was unheard of to actually do a session online, mm -hmm. let alone on the phone, let alone online, um, because it was thought that it was so disembodied. Now, we do know that it works, actually. It works very well because <laughs> we've got a good connection and it works well to do uh, therapy online. But I'm talking about, you know, young people who perhaps have lost the ability to form rela embodied relationships. And so they could end a relationship by a text. Yes, you know, it happens all the time. Thinking. I know, yeah, not I even calling too. on the phone. It happens all the time. Yeah. I think that I, I, I just kind of shudder when I see toddlers that are handed these iPads and they're out to dinner with their, mm -hmm. may not happen where you are, but I see it all the time. They're out to dinner with their, their parents and the parents, you know, the kids just got an iPad or a phone. As as a, a minister that does wedding ceremonies, I've had this happen before where I'm meeting with a couple. They have a child and she's on the phone the whole time, you know, a three-year-old playing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I suppose yeah. that there's, I suppose that there may be a time for mm -hmm. that. I don't know, but I'm really concerned about children mm -hmm. and learning that out of boredom, they they can imagine something amazing. They can, um, they have, there's a whole mm -hmm. imaginary capacity that's being shut down with technology and and yeah. so if 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 this transformation this awakening that's that's we're in the process of if it's going to be in the hands of the younger generation which it is and they don't have any experience with imagination that's where my concern mm -hmm. is so it's yeah, yeah, everybody who has yeah. babies out there <laughs> help them imagine little children for sure i agree
Yeah, and I had an inter- interesting interview with somebody named Dr. E- Edith Mbutu Chan, and she does a lot of alternative education with children outside of the school system. And you know, she says she she believes that there's a lot of uh, she calls them luminous souls that are coming onto the planet. And it sounds like yeah. your granddaughter might be one. <laughs> your granddaughter who's meditating at seven might be one. That that some of these these souls are coming on and they're coming in with their healing energy and that they really hold the potential to really take this awakening to the next level. They do. And and I think it's hard for the parents uh, sometimes because I have, I have a little, uh, my little granddaughter has a brother who's just over a year old. And I mean, he's so advanced already. You know, you can see he came into the world he 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 mostly laughs or you know is enjoying himself he only cries if it's like he's in pain physical pain but it's quite hard for the parents i think because i think they're coming i think she's right and i think they're coming in with a higher vibration at a higher level and the parents don't know what to do you know they might say oh well you know we need to go um, we need to go to church why i i'm god uh, you know, I'm God. Uh, you know, they're 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 already uh, higher vibration than than they come in to teach us, I suppose, and to teach their parents as well, and take and lift the energy. Yes, and I think that that is where so much hope is to to know that yeah. that this new generation is 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 holding this this vibration of healing and and love and compassion, and and I think that if we don't train it out of them. Um, that there's there's just a lot of hope for them. So I've got a grandbaby coming in four weeks. So that's gonna be that's gonna be my Wonderful. first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, best of luck with that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's a big it's a big deal in our family. Um, what what would you like to go back and talk more about your book and and you know what would you like what would you like to convey about it? Um, I I think yeah. I was going through the rooms myself this this morning, and I, I may have this a little bit wrong, but I'm going to summarize this, and you tell me where I'm off. There's the red room that kind of describes the dark night of the soul. The pink room was about love and heartbreak. The blue room was about balancing feminine and masculine. The rose room was about abandonment and um, healing from that. The green room... Um, what did I write down? I think victim, healing from victim consciousness. Purple room dealt with dreams. Did I get those right? You got them nearly all right, in fact, except I would add to the the purple room is talking about dreams, but also, um, interestingly enough, connecting to the the throat chakra, which is usually blue and not purple, but um, that, uh, you know, connecting with the divine within ourselves and that we're never alone that we can it's our connection with the sacred through the crown chakra and and dreams yeah because dreams are one way in which we get wisdom from uh from our souls that speaks to us at night so without the ego coming in and interfering so we, we we can get a lot of gems from our dreams the green room was really about creativity, yes, and you're right about the uh, um, looking at various archetypes uh, within us and working with those um, and connecting with the the earth goddess in that way. Uh, the the rose room was very uh, much 
about in, in, yeah about abandonment and healing abandonment. The pink room was was, was taking you to meet Aphrodite, the goddess, and yes. Aphrodite is the goddess of love um, uh, in Roman language, Venus. And I talk about that being an Aphrodite woman and what that actually means. If we have um, a well-developed Aphrodite uh, and, you know, how we learn about the balance of the masculine and feminine within us through the through the blue room. So each room sort of takes you into different rooms in your psyche. And I've just been, you know, some of the feedback I've received because the book's only been out a couple of a couple of weeks in America, maybe only 10 days. Um, uh some of the feedback I got is, yeah, well, we go into the rooms with you and then we leave the room and and it's so peaceful. And then we go back into a different room. You know, people seem to like these rooms and I never thought about it. It just came, you know, instinctively. And I suppose the book, what I'd like to say as well is the book is not a big academic book. It, it is deeply rooted in Jungian theory and Jungian psychology. But it's it's written as a story um, and as a narrative. And I bring myself in because that's how I teach is to bring my own story out. How better can you teach by um, just using yourself and your own story? So it's an easy book to, to navigate. And um, it, it has a lot of... Uh, not I wouldn't call them exercises, but, you know, they're, they're practical elements to it in terms of what you can do um, if you're dealing with bereavement or this or that and um, and lots of poetry so uh, I think it's a good book <laughs> yeah. I think it's <laughs> I, I love the idea of the rooms very... as well I love the idea that we're entering into this room now and this is kind of the space of this kind of healing yes. is happening Sacred. in this room yeah and I know Sacred for myself space, yeah. my favorite dreams are our dreams about houses and rooms and I, I believe that 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 the homes or rooms represent the psyche and I, I know that uh, you can correct me if you're wrong. You're the analyst, but I know for me, like when I have dreams about rooms, I'm, I'm always, I'm always finding rooms that, oh my gosh, I didn't know this room was in my house. And I I'm know. thinking, wow, that's yeah. so interesting. It's like, there's something that has, I haven't explored yet in myself. I think that's what that means. But I, I love the idea of the rooms. And um, so it, it it's really, really great way. And, I, and what other also comes to me is a scripture in my father's house are many mansions. And perhaps mm, that scripture yeah. means something else or is intended for something else. But I think it still is about the psyche that within us, there are many houses, there are many rooms, and they're all, they're all places for us to explore. That's absolutely right. And you know, the book started, I mean, the red room, it, it basically, there was no plan. But that came from a dream, as you know, because it's written in the book, um, that I had a dream and I was in this red room and it, I knew it was my room. So dreams had a big part to play in this book. And I couldn't think of the subtitle. I had the title, the publisher, and I couldn't think of a proper subtitle. And one night I had a dream uh, when I was in France. Um, the uh, dream was I saw the book in front of my eyes and it said essential healing for everyday life was the subtitle so I wrote to the publishers quickly and I said I, I've had this dream um, I've got this new subtitle and they said yeah that's brilliant <laughs> so that was Great. really good 
So yes. I, can't, I kind of feel it came from, you know, it came from the divine as well, the healing right. goddess, let's say. Yeah, I think our dreams inform us in very, very important ways. Um, I, I want to close, Benique, but I thought if you could uh, give us um, a couple minutes of why why it's called the soul and the sea and what is what is the significance of the sea to you and what living by the sea does for you. Can you share that? Yeah, I can I can I can try. Um I think particularly if you if you read the introduction because it's really my my life when I was a little child and growing up by the sea. I think that the sea well, the sea to me is the the great feminine, the mother and all of that but she connects me when I listen particularly at night if I have the windows open if the weather's good enough um, connects me with the feminine aspect of my soul and I suppose it's a very soulful the sea is very soulful I mean I don't know it, I don't want to put too many words to it because it kind of destroys the beauty of it but mm -hmm. um, I, I do feel I was destined to you know that that was my part of my soul journey to be born here even though my family are French um but to be born here in this remote place and as a little girl I was always outside in nature um uh and to do this work I feel connected to the land here I just feel it that doesn't mean I don't love going to Spain and, and having two or three months in the winter in a warm climate and connecting with the energy of Spain. It doesn't mean that. But it, so the soul in the sea, I don't know. I, I it, it wasn't a difficult title to find. I couldn't, I wasn't sure. It was going to be called Healing from Within, which is the subtitle of my last book, because it is all about healing from within. But then the sea was speaking to me all the time, it seemed. It was very and attractive to me. The healing, yeah, and I do feel the healing you know, that's another thing during the pandemic. Everybody started swimming. It, you know, people were going into the water in midwinter uh, because of the healing benefits of the sea. Somehow she came alive. And maybe that is the uh, the embodiment of the feminine, the sacred feminine coming through to us. You probably live near lakes, do you? Wisconsin. I always live near You're water near in some way. I've I've got a I've got a lake out back and a, a big pond on this side, and then and then the Great Lakes aren't aren't that far from me, Lake Michigan. Um, but I know that when I'm on the coast, it is there's something just something about the sea that's just you know, she can be calm, it can be tumultuous, and you know it's very very powerful. And I love also being by the sea at night with the windows open and just hearing the waves oh, is something yeah. just so, so comforting about that. And I, I've kind of wondered if some of it is that we are, we are birthed in waters. I've just kind of wondered if, you know, in the womb, we're in waters. Yeah. I mean, I know that the bigger you get, the less water there is around you, but, but, but that we kind of come from waters. And so I'm just wondering if we also are just attracted to waters, you know, just it, it's something that attracts us, like a place that we want to be, like there's a healing very place. Very elemental. There. Mm -hmm. It's, it's yeah. very elemental. And I think water is very connected with healing. You find that mm -hmm. in dreams again, that sometimes in dreams or in, in, in artistic work, that, you know, if people are stuck, sometimes they, they dream of, you know, frozen lakes or, you know, they, they can't break the ice. They can't. So when water comes, it's emotion. I used to dream, and I, I know you want to finish. 
but I used to have these dreams very regularly of having burst pipes in my house Uh and having to go and get the builder to fix them. And one day I was in analysis at the time. um, I looked up the thing and we were talking. It was like, so I had too much emotion, you see. And uh, so too much water and it was escaping. Uh, (laughs) Yes. I get that. The the pipes couldn't contain it. Yeah, I completely get that. Yeah. I think it's a good thing to watch for is water in dreams and how the water shows up in our dreams. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll just give you another minute. Do you have anything else that you want to say that you didn't get a chance to say? Any last words? Any last Um, message? Well, I, I... I I've been delighted to to speak with you, and um, I uh, I'm just setting up a new system on my website to um, uh, do regular meditations and uh, spiritual gatherings every week, and uh, I'm setting up a new sort of membership thing on my website, which I didn't before because it's so difficult to you know that way I can share my work and my teachings with more people. Than just having individual sessions, so uh, I'm just encouraging people to have a look at uh, at my website, which is the same as my name, BeliqueMoje.com. And I'll have that on your on the podcast page, yeah, so people can contact and you. And it's been lovely talking to you. It's been a nice connection. It has been. I I really enjoyed this. I was very attracted to the name of your book, Soul in the Sea. So at least for me, it was a really good good name for the book. And I love the idea of the healing rooms. And I really, really appreciate your focus around healing from our birth experiences. I think all of that's just really, really good work. So thank you for being with me today. And thank you for having me. Yes. And thank you listeners. I know that I know people were blessed by this um, podcast today. Um, So thank you everybody. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.